All right, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. I suppose now is as good a time as any to let everyone listening know that this entire time uh, I have been doing this podcast, yes, with Tari J, but not Tari J, the man, uh, Tari J, the sentient piece of clothing that I wear when I want to look hot and kick ass. And we we talk to each other as you should. And it's crazy because no one else can hear me. And so this whole time, everyone has thought that you are just speaking to yourself, laughing to yourself crazily. Uh, And maybe one day when I finally figure out that I am neither clothing nor human, I will be able to be heard by other people. I mean, we we can hope (laughs) We, we, we all hope to get there one day. I hope so. As you might know, we were talking about Kill the Kill, the Studio Trigger inaugural animation uh, came out in 2013. It was directed by Hiroyuki Imaishi. It was written by Kazuki Nakashima. The music, which you all know and love, was composed by Hiroyuki Sawano. Uh, This I brought in for our month entitled schools out forever because this is a this is a all about how school rules the day <laughs> lex i don't you... know that just that just tickled me so much oh yeah it is and uh, i mean uh, i think it's fair to say that yes uh, uh, school is indeed is indeed out a lot of people fighting to the death within uh, within an academy structure and not just tearing down each other, not just like going through person after person with weird magic power outfits, but also uh, by extension, just bringing the whole thing crashing down on itself, which which makes it in a way a very appropriate resolution to this month, thematically speaking. Indeed. And so I feel like in case people haven't seen it and they're like, what is this kill a kill thing? I'm going to pitch this shit real good. All right. Please, All please, right. Please, please pitch this to me. <laughs> so kill a kill is actually no i'm gonna switch it up yo do you like battle anime you like that shonen shit oh maybe you like magical girls Ooh, maybe you like high school dramas well this is everything and more uh this is from the team that brought you gurren lagan they also brought you uh fully coolie yo uh this team after they had taken their, their leave from Gainax and was like, yo, we're going to make our own shit. We are going to go as over the top as possible. We're going to change the animation game. And they created this female-driven, over-the-top, insanely powerful, moving, slight on fascism. Kill the kill. Oh, yeah. You, you intrigued now, ain't you? It's that You're feeling it. Yeah. That's Dude, what this happened. thing, this this thing is wild. You did not prepare me 
Uh, you you just told me, I hope you can get through as much of the show as you can before we talk about it because it's super fun. And I said, okay, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Super fun. Okay, I'll jump in. This is, um, there's a lot. There's, this is a bonkers program. And like you've shown yes. me a bunch of anime and a lot of it is definitely on the bonkers spectrum. This is a fucking bonkers show. Yes. I felt like this show was up your alley in terms you love that over the top. You love uh, absurdist humor. It's also a really cool satire. I didn't tell you it was a satire because I uh, just wanted you to enjoy it for what it was and and see what your thoughts were. I, I wanted you to go in as blind as possible to get them raw thoughts, baby. Ooh, um, this was my second time around. Like I watched it week to week when it first came out in 2013. And then this time around, I'm older, I'm, I'm growner. And I didn't have to watch it week to week trying to remember what the clothes were doing this time around. So I think I really got to enjoy all of the smaller, it, like intricate pieces. Like there's so much about Kill la Kill that is they're, they're referencing things, the just all of the thematic aspects of it, a lot of the image references and stuff like that. Like it is so multifaceted that uh, I almost feel like I have to let people know that I don't even think I caught everything because everything that happens in this show is so steeped in both uh, Japanese history, mythology, their God belief systems, anime itself. Like it is so multifaceted, this one specific anime that I am sure that by the end of it, you're going to be like, oh, but you didn't mention this thing. And I'm sure I didn't. I, I'm not even going to pretend like I think I picked up even half of what this show is doing. I, I had never seen it before, of course, uh, and I watched uh, all of it basically in a very condensed time frame. So, you know, when um, well, like the, the style of art where you basically put a whole bunch of paint on a canvas and spin it around really fast so it, it streaks everywhere. That's uh -huh. sort of like how the show feels in my brain right now like i definitely okay. got i definitely got all the surface all right i definitely got most of the surface but i could absolutely not sit here and tell you for example what in particular it's satirizing mm. i be i believe you that it was satirizing something but i i was still like i, I feel like i'm still stuck on oh so it's the the clothes talk got it <laughs> okay i mean this your first viewing and knowing now at this moment that it's basically from the same dudes who did uh fully Cooley, which if you remember we talked about that a while ago which was about the kid who gets the he gets hit by the guitar and then a robot comes out of his head right yes so what's your what is your general non-spoilery feeling about the show I mean, it's it's fun. You know what I mean? Like when I decided to take on watching essentially the entire season, it, it because as we've established repeatedly on the show, I'm not a big anime guy. There's that that moment of, OK, well, I uh, strap myself in, get a big cup of coffee because this is going to be a, a chore and a slog. And it was neither. This show is absolutely batshit. And it definitely kept my attention uh, the entire time. I also think it definitely helps that you have been exposing me to anime semi-regularly for the past couple of years. So I feel like every time I come to a new one, it's like that barrier for entry is a little bit easier to get 
passed for me every time. I think it's definitely good that this wasn't one of the first ones you showed to me because as batshit crazy as it is, I don't know that I would have been able to get into it a year ago. I enjoyed it. It's really fun. It's it's real bizarre. I mean, it's real bizarre and it's committing so aggressively hard to being as bizarre as it is. I think it it looks great. It's fun. The characters generally all pop. There's a lot uh, of sort of mythology and world building going on in this show and a, like a ton of moving pieces that I don't know that I could explain to somebody else, but it never got so convoluted that I felt like I couldn't follow what was happening, which for somebody who generally feels somewhat alienated by uh, this whole medium is uh, a big old plus for me. It's interesting how it's a show that both feels incredibly horny and not as horny as you would expect it to moment to moment, given given some of the facets of this this world and this and this story. I want to talk about that a little bit, but I, I don't know that I have uh, the vocabulary. All right, let's put it this way. They do not shy away from like hyper sexualizing some of these characters in a way that feels it can't help but feel super leery. But at the same time, I couldn't tell moment how creeped out I was supposed to be. I guess is okay. my point. I was like, I'm a little creeped out by this. But somehow, I feel like they're threading the needle just proficiently enough that I, I'm not totally skeezed. But I feel like if you moved that needle just a hair to the right or just a hair to the left, I would be real skeezed out by what I'm seeing. Right. And I think that like, especially now, before we get to the spoiler wall, if someone's on the fence and they're like, I've seen clips from Kill a Kill and I know that there are butt shots. I think this is a good time to address that in that the intent of the like hypersexualization slash like fan servicey moments are specifically like that's where a lot of the satire comes in in that that has been a, a a very big part of anime for a long time where it's like you get all of these gratuitous shots that are unnecessary and like not in any way part of the plot and so the the idea of creating this thing specifically about like these clothes that require you to be you know more nude than clothes would want you to be um is to one desensitize the audience to that idea and that it is overexposing you to the to this fan service so that by the end it happens and it's not even a, a really a factor in the show anymore like these transformation sequences where they're going up the characters butts and and like you know looking at their boobs you're kind of just like all right cool it's the transformation sequence and you're really engaged in the story so it, that's one part of it um and the other is to really kind of make you question your ideas of like uh, the old puritanical structure of seeing naked bodies and and they kind of address this a little bit when we get one of the characters first transformation sequences and she explains her view on that yeah and it i i do think now of course i'm not as as versed in anime so i wasn't necessarily keyed in too specifically to how like they are satirizing the medium at large but i do think they managed to get away with like even if you're not keyed into the the satirical aspect narratively i think they managed to get away with some of that stuff because they're very clearly aware 
of the imagery that they are choosing to incorporate and the show itself. And this isn't a spoiler because it happens, I think, from the first episode throughout the whole thing. The characters talk about, they make explicit how they find it distasteful, how like scantily clad the Ryuko character is. Like they literally compare her to like like a prostitute uh, more than once. And I do like that there's this aspect of like, stop, stop shaming this girl. Like she doesn't, she doesn't necessarily owe you a more modest attire, et cetera, et cetera. And it feels like right. actually finding a way to say something about it. So even if they weren't necessarily approaching it satirically, I feel like you, you kind of, you get away with it. You earn it a little bit by, by making it very clear that this is an intentional choice. It's not there just for the sake of gratuity. The gratuity actually has a purpose to it. Right. And I think it's also that every time that it happens, it serves like a narrative function. Like even one of the secondary protagonists of the show, like their whole purpose is about freeing the human body from from clothing. So like it, um, it like you could say, oh, man, that's so fan But it's like that is the explicit plot purpose of this thing. So I also like that aspect of it. I feel like we're teetering on the edge of spoilers. So I think I am going to transition us to the spoiler section. So I'm going to give you a chance. If you haven't had a chance to check out Kill la Kill, it is on Netflix. It's on Hulu. It is also available on Crunchyroll if you want to check it out there. If you're looking to watch it ad-free, Netflix uh, has both the sub and the dub. So you can also check it out. The The sub is very well done. Uh, I believe it was done by uh, Bang Zoom Entertainment. So big ups to them because it was a very well done dub. It really captured or yeah, it really captured the feeling of the original voice actors. And I appreciated that. While you're here, if you would like and you're feeling so inclined, you can go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. That way we uh, get bolstered and, and, you know, rise through the ranks of our own Hanoji Academy, which is iTunes charts. Um, so other people can find us and other people can get their own Goku uniforms by leaving us a five star Goku uniform review. <laughs> uh, I'm really integrating this. It's, I'm doing a great job. Thank you. And so I believe that that is the extent that we have for giving you time. So we'll be back right after this break. All right, we are back. And now that we're past the spoiler wall, I feel like it is my chance to say, oh, shit. Y'all didn't think we were going to do some gay shit during Pride Month, did you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we decided to slip this in right before the end of it, baby. You was like, yo, these niggas going to do some gay shit. And I was like, fuck, yeah, we're going to do some gay shit. That, that is, that is, that's, that's what I said. Uh-huh. So um, I'm I'm excited that we got to do Kill a Kill because I it's one of my favorite shows that also has some nice LBG, LBGTQA plus representation. That said, Lex, I think it's time for you to bust a recap. All right. So uh, bear with me and keep, keep in mind what I said before about how this this mostly looks like abstract, like spin paint 
art in my brain. And feel free to jump in and save me at any point, because a lot happened in this narrative that I cannot profess to understand. But uh-huh. here here we go. Ready? So the, the story is set at the uh, Honoji Academy, which is uh, seems to be run uh, essentially by uh, Lady Satsuki, who is often not very nice and, and seems to have some pretty bad uh, mommy issues. And so Ryuko comes to town, Ryuko Matoi. She's a transfer student and she's got one of those like big sort of weird uh, anime weapons that you see all the time. Hers is like half a giant scissor blade. It reminded me of the the key thing that the dude from Kingdom Hearts has because that's, yeah, that's, this is one of my anime touchstones is that like half the time these characters have weird like oversized items that are, that are big sort of broad weapons they can use. So she's got cool. one of those and she is looking for the person who killed her father. She finds this sentient outfit that talks to her and it basically attaches itself to her body and transforms her so that she can be like this uh, super powerful fighter and she's able to go and sort of take on the person that, that she fought initially and, and got beaten up by. She makes a, a friend, Mako, who is very hyperactive, needs to, to sit down and take some deep breaths and stuff. <laughs> the whole, if I, if I understood this correctly, the okay. school is essentially structured around this uh, series of battle events. Um, and so what you want to do is sort of level up through these, these battle events, right? So that you can essentially get better, more powerful uniforms. Like they call them the Goku uniforms and there's a ranking system. And it seems like it's both a power ranking system and also sort of like a social caste system. Like Mm -hmm. everybody wants to get the, the higher star uh, the higher star uniforms, because with that, yes, comes more power, but of course, more prestige as well. And so Ryuko, as uh, she attempts to figure out who it is that killed her father, sort of battling her way through the ranks, she has to fight Lady Satsuki's Elite Four, which was one of the anime-ish references that that maybe wasn't an intentional reference, but it reminded me of Pokemon, which also has an Elite Four, and for just a minute there, I felt safe. So she fights her way through the Elite Four, and then also confronts, uh, what's the, the girl's name, Nui? Is, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Nui? Nui, there we go. That's how you say it. She's confronted by Nui, who has the other scissor blade, the other half of this this weapon that Ryuko carries around. And Ryuko discovers that it was uh, apparently Nui who killed her father. I know that uh, Ryuko basically hulks out at a certain point and then gets unhulked. And then there's this whole expanded... It's like this expanded mythology about how the, the clothing, these like sentient outfits, are actually more like, like aliens? Like they're sort of like aliens, basically, no, and they like are aliens. <laughs> okay, so they are aliens, yes. um, and they and they basically live by. Okay, so they they function via uh, this sort of like organic technology type thing called life fibers, and they basically eat like the the clothing eats Ryuko's blood while it's on her is what I took away from this. So it's like a sort of like a symbiotic relationship of sorts. But yeah. okay, so the, the, basically the alien clothing. <laughs> I uh-huh. wants to like <laughs> this show is fucking weird. The the alien clothing I think wants to sort of not necessarily colonize our planet, but essentially they want to be the the masters of sort of all that they all that they survey. And part of how they're going to do that is essentially jump onto people and and just eat them. Like basically just consume all their blood and then I don't know at a certain point probably eat through their skin and stuff so that the clothing will be sort of the the dominant species or the dominant form of life okay close so they <laughs> uh eat us 
they, we are cattle to clothing. Clothing is an alien species that can, that travels around space, evolving species in order to cultivate them to become consumed by the clothing. And then once it consumes that planet, it it's like a virus in that it breaks up into smaller pieces of clothing that travel space again to find a new planet in order to subjugate. <laughs> so... In the midst of all this, there's a there's a big uh, there's an attack by some evil clothing. Satsuki's mother Regio reveals that Ryuko is uh, her her actually her daughter and Satsuki's long lost sister, and that Regio was at one point married to Ryuko's father, who she has been trying to avenge this entire time. At a certain point, right, the the evil clothing basically wins for a stretch there, and then our sort of cadre of heroes. Like Ryuko has to sort of join forces with like, like I know the Elite Four is there, the nudist beach. There's this like paramilitary cell called nudist beach. Get uh-huh. it? Because they're they're anti-clothing. Basically, everybody has to sort of like there's they team up and there's like there's like some space shit. And they they, they <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I said. Uh, there's yeah. some space shit, and then they have to sort of trounce the evil clothing invasion scheme. And then once the evil clothing is is uh, is is trounced, and Ryoko has found some measure of peace when it comes to uh, the ultimate fate of her father, the clothing that has been helping her, which senkets is what they call this sentient bit of clothing that allied with her early on. Uh, I believe uh, sacrifices himself to get Ryuko back to the planet. And then everybody goes home and, and takes a long weekend to think about how fucking weird all of their shit has become. Yes. And then she goes on a date with Mako and they're in a relationship now. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, bro. Don't forget about that gay shit. (laughs) This dude is so good. This is quite a program. There's quite, I'm actually very proud of myself that I was able to even organize it mentally to that degree. You did a great job. Oh, thanks. I I love validation. It's delightful. Yeah, this was, um, this was quite a show. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Was there anything about it that stuck out to you that appealed to your sensibilities uh, out of everything that you saw? I mean, so uh, as you reestablished, I think before we jumped into spoilers and as as I've established on the show a number of times, for me, what really gets me to laugh, because right, like if we if we operate on the uh, premise that humor is subversion of expectation, right, that's where it comes from. Well, I am uh, pretty jaded as an audience member. And so it takes a lot to completely subvert my expectations to get me to laugh. You really have to totally catch me off guard much in the same way. This show, every, I'm going to say roughly every five to seven seconds minimum, or max, sorry, every five to seven seconds max, this show did something or somebody said something or they pivoted in such a way that made me go, what the fuck? And so it was the sensibility of the thing, the tone of the thing, how just belligerently committed it is to writing this tone. And it's like, look, this is either really for you or they don't care to try and appeal to you. Um, And I sort of admire that. Like it's either you're on board with what they're doing or it's all just going to fly right past you and you're going to feel completely lost and possibly a little bit scared. So I, I admire that about it. I admire how sort of brazenly it commits to being really fucking preposterous. And yeah, like thinking about it as uh, satire and as as 
I've said, I'm not really well versed enough in the medium to be able to pick out, oh, they're making a statement about X or Y. But I, I can definitely see how some of the elements, like we alluded to, like the outfit, like when she puts on uh, Senkets, the, the characters are constantly commenting on how, you know, she's dressed very, I guess, in their in their perception, dressed uh, very slutty. Like, I don't necessarily need to know that it's also a statement about uh, the way certain female characters are depicted in anime to be able to appreciate that it's also a statement on how, you know, society will uh, objectify women, but then also shame the women that they are objectifying. Um, mm -hmm. There are layers to this thing, I guess, is my point. Like, it's really, really fucking weird. Um, but it's also it actually has stuff on its mind. And I, I was very impressed, especially given how fucking weird they are co so committed to being. I was very impressed that they, they were, in my opinion, actually able to walk that line in a, in a pretty balanced way and actually have things of substance to say, because I think it would be very easy to look at the surface of this show without really choosing to engage and, and not, really get any of that. Like, I think it'd be very easy to look at the surface and go, this is bizarre as shit. And, and there's not really a whole lot here, you know, like there's a lot of stuff, but there's not really that much of substance. But I think if you, if you dig just a little bit, again, even if you're, if you're not super well-versed in the medium, I think there's a lot of actually uh, somewhat thoughtful shit going on. Yeah. Um, and so the biggest thing for me is that they, they actually managed to do both and to sacrifice Neither, you know, I, I feel like especially when you're trying to do something this weird, I feel like you need to uh, not need to. I feel like a lot of people might be inclined to deprioritize the weirdness if they have something that they want to say. Mm -hmm. And oh, boy, do they not ever turn down the weirdness uh, in this show for even a second. And I found that pretty impressive. Yeah, I think that like the weirdness allows you to start to kind of it like it compels you to dig deeper into what's happening because I think that for everything that goes on in the plot of this show, despite it being like a very big collection of like, I think if you're, if you're barely paying attention, it could sometimes feel like word soup, but like, I think that it really digs into this concept of like, it, if you really want to understand everything that's happening there are so many layers that you have to unfold and it really brings, draws you in and makes you want to un unpack those layers. Like you could just take it as a regular battle anime, but it also really, really like there are so many minuscule things that will send you down a rabbit hole in terms of trying to understand what it's trying to convey. For example, the, idea of the school uniforms and they address this directly in the show itself and it, you could just kind of wash over that you could be looking at your phone and not really be paying attention to this moment but it really like from the early episodes talks about how in the history of japan like a lot of school uniforms reflected that of naval uniforms or like uh, army uniforms and that's because after a certain point in, well, you know, after a couple different coups from people not wanting to be in, uh, not wanting to embrace democracy and them kind of 
jumping into a more fascist regime. Once they became part of the Axis, they started essentially indoctrinating children at a young age into programs that would kind of fast track them into the military. And this show itself is kind of the epitome of that in that we have these uniforms that are effectively giving people the ability to join this paramilitary, or I guess it's basically a, a real military because at a certain point they go on to attack other schools in the way that, you know, Japan in different eras of its past had also tried to expand its territory. Right. We have a lot of these parallels between Japanese history that are, I think, if you try to tell it in a straight manner, it might feel like it was kind of navel gazy. But the fact that you're using this crazy allegory of this high school uh, really helps to kind of get people engaged in this history and its connection to Japan's, you know, darker history. Yeah, and a lot of this stuff is is clearly... I mean, it's clearly baked into it. Like I was not, I like that you referred to it as words. What is it? Word soup a few minutes ago. Like I uh -huh. wasn't, I was watching the screen. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't going to my phone because I knew that if I did, yeah, I would be completely lost. But I still, I still feel like I was having a little bit of the word. Like I didn't know anybody's name, I think, except, except Ryuko until probably about two thirds of the way through this. But I, uh, it's, it's all, yeah, it's all there. But you can choose to sort of engage with it or not, right? Because there's also, in addition to the sort of elements of substance, in addition to the the sort of points that they're actually saying something substantive about, whether directly or indirectly, I'm just so, I'm just, I'm so taken with how fucking strange all of this is. And I don't, like, I can't, I can't get past it. How does this happen? How does something come out of people's brains in this shape and in this form? Well, I mean, it's interesting that you say that. Like, I feel like this was so the feeling I get from this show is that it is almost a pure expression of a bunch of creative people trying to pull their ideas together and have a, as much fun as possible. Like, you can you can see in each and every scene, the creators kind of sitting together and being like, ooh, shit, what if we did this? Or, ah, oh, yeah, this would be a really fun way to introduce this character. And like, at, even from the inception, it, it became, it was a really, uh, how do I describe it? A simple concept that Imaishi kind of pulled somewhat punny words together to form the the plot of the show like there's a, a quote where he says that the plot is based on the observation that the japanese manner of pronouncing fascio which is the original like version of what became fascism it's nearly the same word as fashion and then the word for school uniform which is seifuku is the same word for conquest they're the they're basically the same when you like romanize them or whatever and then even the the title of the show, Kill la Kill, um, Kiru can also be to wear or to cut, which is essentially the the wow. dynamic between the, the two main, I would say they're both protagonists, which is like Satsuki and, uh, and Ryuko. So like those two, I guess, dichotomies, I use that word, right? Hell yeah. Those kind of form the the show. And I think that that is, 
something that Imaishi is really good at in terms of finding really cool ways to express contradictory concepts. And also, like, I think he found a fun way to take what could be a plain Jane coming of age story and make it as extreme as possible. Like the the way that this show does its animation and the way that it uh, expresses its ideas are to convey a feeling. And I think that that is a lot of what the show is trying to do in that, like if you take away the, the macro layers, which are like fascism and, you know, how clothes over time become a way of keeping the masses in kind of a sedated state from a, from a smaller standpoint, it is effectively that these cliques and, and the uh, hierarchy that you have in, in high school is manifest in this, in this school, Hanoji Academy, in that the people who are the most popular effectively like run the school and your place in school also kind of dictates how people see you outside of school as well, which is kind of how they manifest that in that your placement in the school also dictates your way of life outside of the school, literally. So I think that like the the way that they take these concepts and literalize them uh, and do it in such a like straight faced manner, I think is why it's so appealing. Because like if they had shied for even a second, if they like pulled back and try to take themselves too seriously for even a moment, I think it would break the immersion of the show. But like, I think that because everyone is so dedicated to making this such a fun experience, but also really trying to take every idea that they have to its most extreme, I think it, you can't help but to be pulled in by it or alienated by it, I guess. I, I am. And I'm genuinely surprised being, being so not an anime guy, I am very surprised that I actually fell into the former category instead of feeling alienated by it. But at the same time, I, yeah, like you just dropped a whole bunch of insight on me that I just did not have. Like I, it occurred to me as you were explaining the meaning of the title that I hadn't even, I hadn't considered it at all. I was like, kill a kill. What's that mean? I don't know. The show's pretty violent. Probably just that moving on. And so that's, that's sort of what I was talking about before. We're like, this, this show offers you the opportunity to engage purely on the surface if that's your jam. But like you were saying, like there's a whole lot going on under the hood of this thing. And, and I think where our opinions are, are converging is that, yeah, it's like we, we seem in agreement that it's very impressive the way the show is able to handle substance. It's able to handle metaphor, allegory, sort of big weighty themes that aren't just themes that pertain to our present and the way we do things now, but also that that pertain to the history of this entire culture and how our norms became our norms and what what that means without sacrificing any of the like this is this is consistently batshit crazy. But the the other thing too is that this series, this universe is populated with such rich but real weird characters. Like every uh -huh. every character in this thing is is distinct. Everybody pops. Everybody has, if not necessarily uh, clearly drawn, uh, defined, fleshed out psychology, then certainly uh, a clear point of view. But also, uh, who is, okay, who is the guy, what's the name of the character who shows up sort of midway through, he's got the glasses, he's, he's, 
doing a he's doing a voice. I think he's got braces on and stuff. I forget this character's name. More of that guy. Where's that guy's spinoff? I want it. Oh, you're talking about Kaneo uh, Takarara? Possibly. <laughs> I might. I might be. He's the one who uses money for ammo. Yeah, that guy. More of that guy. Um, I hated that guy. <laughs> I know he's he's the worst. That's why I want more of him. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's not surprising. I think that like, <laughs> here's my issue. I think he was more tolerable in the sub because he wasn't trying to be like a, a stereotype. Uh, he was, I mean, he may be like a Japanese stereotype, but he was just like a guy who loved money. Whereas like, I feel like in the dub, they were like, oh yeah, we're going to use like, we're going to use urban slang because he because he has gold teeth you know so like oh boy he's got to be using stuff like yo and dad ass and and stuff like that so <laughs> oh boy we're gonna we're gonna fucking have so much fun with this character and i was not for it um i i was i hated it at like every moment of it <laughs> to be fair there are very few aspects to this character that are not offensive to one degree or another yeah I know. I just, I just feel like they didn't have to. They didn't. They didn't. They just didn't have to. Well, I feel like that's that's maybe arguably. I mean, I guess your your mileage may vary, but I feel like that's maybe the closest they come to like breaking their their mold a little bit because like every every other piece of uh, borderline problematic weirdness uh, in this thing feels a little bit more grounded in that world. And it feels a little bit more contextualized than a lot of the, the choices they made with this character. And yeah, I right. feel like this, this guy in particular really is maybe as close as they come to, to breaking the thing. And I feel like, and maybe it's only because I got such a kick out of how deeply problematic uh, this character is. Um, it didn't uh -huh. break it, didn't break it for me, but I, I can see how, it might be the the spot where a lot of people pause. <laughs> um, yeah, I I switched to the sub for his episode because, <laughs> like, it just he gets he gets basically he's in two episodes and he's like a a boss character for that the raid arc you could call it, and he is. I, I think as a person of as a black man, <laughs> I feel like I'm being made fun of in that moment and it makes me mad. And I like I get that he's supposed to be like this poser and he's supposed to be like he's supposed to be lame. Like everyone makes fun of him and of how like really just shitty that character is. Um, but I found it so grating to listen to like not only because of his like crazy high pitched voice. But just in the way that he unnecessarily spoke jive, like he's like, ah, yeah, I'm gonna fucking eat your money, bitch. Ooh, damn, I love that <laughs> pussy. And it's like, why? Like, like, we don't need this character to be this way. Like, he can be obnoxious and posery without, you know, speaking jive, I think. That was my only problem with the dub. Everything else, I feel like they really nailed the characters. But like... Except for that part. And I, I didn't know if I wanted to talk about it or not, but you brought him <laughs> up 
And so I gotta air my grievances. And so we talk about how, like, if if humor is subversion of expectations, like I'm sitting there watching this character and and sort of taking in the way they chose to depict him, and uh, I definitely wasn't expecting that. And so I, yeah, I I got, I definitely got a kick out of it. But uh, as as I think you have now. Uh, pretty efficiently laid out and contextualized uh maybe not for the right reasons um <laughs> but i was look i was definitely laughing i was having a great time watching this character but uh i, I was having it for uh, yes i think reasons entirely separate from uh anything that that may have been part of their intention although you know it's entirely possible that there really is a salient satirical point uh that they're making that just went over my head maybe um, I I like started Googling if other people felt unhappy with that character. It doesn't matter. But you were talking about characters having their own specific feel and everyone feeling uh, fully fleshed out. And so that brings me to my favorite character, or I guess one of my favorite characters, because I love every character in this show. Like if I were to rank them, I couldn't. Um, I could give you a top five, which like Irigarmaguri is is in my top five. Let's see, uh, you know, uh, Ragyu is in my top five. Uh, the two main heroines, Matoi and Satsuki, top five. I could go on. But Nui specifically, I really like one that she is insanely neutral evil. Like she has her own things going on and like she's part of the the grand scheme but she mostly just wants to taunt Ryuko. And I I love that aspect. And I think because there's a moment later in the show when they are fighting and it's after Ryuko realizes that she is part life fiber, that Nui tries to appeal to her and is like, you're just like me. And you really get a sense that this character has this alone feeling. Like she's never really interacting with anyone cordially like she talks to Rangyu and you know it's more like a subordinate kind of relationship and mm-hmm. she talks to Satsuki and it is very antagonistic because you can imagine that they are both kind of fighting for the same place which is right by Rangyu's side but like there's this moment where you really get a feel that she is kind of like the Joker uh, and Batman, where she is just trying to be like, you're like me. Just acknowledge that you're like me. Come on, baby. Uh, I killed your dad, but you're. You, it was good for you. And I also, so that's like one aspect that I really like about Nui. But the other aspect is that she is, the way she is animated is she's very much like a, I've seen it described as like a Looney Tunes character. And okay. I, I get that. In that like, anytime she is dodging, they don't, animate her dodging in any meaningful way like sometimes it'll just be her head like bobbing in the same like five places or (laughs) it'll be like there's a a moment when they basically take her her character model and just like spin it in three dimensions so like she's a (laughs) two-dimensional item spinning in a three-dimensional space which i think is it's weird and insane and like a very specific choice because that character also really likes to play with the fourth wall like 
in times when there are split screens, she will reach across it. In times where her name title comes up, she will like lean on it and, and things of that sort. So that character is the closest to like a Deadpool-esque character that we're going to get. And I really enjoy her. I I agree with everything you just said. And I'll add to it that I'm a fan of the character design and how impractical things like her hairstyle are um, for, for things like heavy combat. And I like it. I like that she commits to and rocks that wildly impractical hairstyle. And you don't really get, like, I would assume if it was me, I would assume uh, that if my hair did that, like the big sort of curl things that come up off her head, that at some point uh-huh. while I was fighting, somebody was going to grab me by my giant curl hair things and like throw me into the sun or something like that. And I don't recall her being chucked into the sun in this show. No. So good for her. Well, I mean, she's proven that she's more powerful than basically anyone else in the show. So, like, even if someone were to try to grab her hair, she'd she'd be fine. Because, like, the guy who does near light speed uh, sword thrusts could barely hit her. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like, uh, that's why like, I couldn't rock that hair because I would get thrown into the sun. But she manages to kind of sport this this wildly impractical aesthetic and and remain untouched. It's very impressive. Have you tried wearing special clothing? I I have, although I suppose uh, one's mileage may vary as far as what what is special. Okay, so I kept talking about Ragio and I really want to talk about her right now okay so my main thing that i really like about ragio is her theme this show has the best soundtrack i've heard in decades this show's soundtrack is amazing slaps every time oh yeah baby (laughs) it slaps there's that one song that they use uh somewhat frequently when ryuko sort of like puts the puts the power outfit on and you get the like transformation sequence um and i don't know i don't know what the song is and i couldn't sing it to you but it it lives in my brain now It, it probably lives there forever is it the don't lose your way that one that one yeah yeah that one's dope. It also has like a little rap in it if you get the soundtrack. I'll share the soundtrack with you because it's great, uh, especially track cool. 17. But all of it is amazing. I think because when I was originally watching it, the soundtrack wasn't available because it was actively airing. And, and so the full soundtrack wasn't ready until years later. But now I, I having listened to the soundtrack in my free time, I was able to really enjoy how they used it throughout the show and all the like little reoccurring character motifs, all the different um, like character beats that they use to emphasize with the music. So like my Satsuki's theme is really well used. It's so powerful. It is a great way of like signifying where that character is from any given moment. I mean, you just talked about Ryuko's theme, which is really fun, uh, especially when you hear the rap. People don't like the rap, but I love it. <laughs> Wait, why, do, why don't people like the rap? I don't know. I don't know why people don't like the rap. I think because people are garbage and their opinions are stupid. I assume that that's the only reason. Fair enough. Yeah. 
I also like, so there is a song that you get, you get in both the instrumental form and then you also get in uh, like it's full form. So, uh, man, I can't pronounce this. Um, Ad Lib <laughs> is the like really sad version of it where you, you get anytime that Ryuko was very upset and uh, down on herself. They would play the really sad version. And then the version with the vocals is called I Want to Know. And I, I feel like when you listen to those two songs together, you really get a sense of I, th- I feel like that was written specifically for Ryuko and and Sinkets because it, it all it almost makes it seem like Sinkets is the spirit of her father. Ooh. <laughs> Which, like, I guess if the series had, uh, or if the OTS had kind of released early, that'd be kind of a spoiler. Because you really get the sense that, like, Matoy kind of becomes that piece of clothing. But that's right. just my opinion. That's just me, you know? But, but didn't they say, at one point, they say something about how they made the, the magic fighty talky outfit out of Ryuko's DNA, right? That's why she like matched with it and that's why she can talk to it and stuff like that and nobody else can yeah but but if it's sort of like her father would share it wouldn't be a dna match but they would share some because she's a direct biological descendant so i guess technically you could have it both ways that's true i mean yeah they basically programmed it to her neuro neuro system that's why uh she could hear it talk is that like there's a a moment midway through the series where they're experimenting on a baby and then they're like oh that baby died and they flush it down the toilet (laughs) but and so like ryuko was that baby and so like they had programmed it to sync with her her um nervous system which i guess also if if you were trying to make a a thing that was going to help your daughter rise the ranks and and defeat this fascist regime you would want to put a little bit of yourself and and like an ai in there to be like here's what you gotta do (laughs) right (laughs) yep so um but also just like that <laughs> just like that um but also um i think gamaguri's theme uh on the track it's called gorilla jala gorilla ja l it's weird okay that theme is probably the one that sticks out to me the most because it's so distinct and it's one of the first themes you hear like when they are establishing the the vibe of the show you you get this really i would say fantastic opening scene where they're talking about the theme of the show which is fascism because the teacher is is essentially recounting how hitler came into power and then you essentially right. go right into the introduction of this school's fascist regime which is heralded by gamaguri coming into this classroom with his jack boots and his uniform and beating this kid senseless and and showing how over the top but also how they manipulate the uh animation and his size and the way that like they are very specifically saying we are not trying to capture reality we're trying to capture a feel and i think they do all of this in the very first scene like before the opening credits even start you get all of this primer and then you really get into the action. Right. 
So um, I feel like we're getting close to the end. Do you have any like other thoughts about the show? Something that I, the longer I sit here and I think about it, that I really would like to see, and it would it would make everybody uh, but me so angry. I really would like to see somebody try and take a run at a live action adaptation of this, just to see what it would look like. Obviously, like all of the diehard fans would would hate it because it would be maybe faithful in certain ways and not faithful enough in others. Uh, it would probably be received much like the uh, Netflix Death Note movie, which is to say. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was fine, but everybody else was mad. I want to know. I want to see how it would translate. You know, like this, this seems like such an animation dependent show. You know what I mean? Like they're constantly doing things that I I wonder how you could translate faithfully to live action. I mean, you could do a lot with computers (laughs) now, but how, you know, like how would you translate it while also while also making it feel sort of whole and organic and correct and like the thing you're basing it on. I want somebody to try it. I don't even necessarily need it to be any good at all, but I really want somebody to take a swing at it because I feel like <laughs> this in live Why? action would, would do because I think it would be hilarious. I like it. Here's what you're saying. You're like, yes, look, I know that th- this is in the ultimate form uh, and medium that it should be in. Like it's, it's expressed in the medium that it is at its highest capacity. But I really yes. want to see a bastardized version of this. Like, I yes. really want to see someone <laughs> ruin the thing for a lot of money. Yes, that's Why exactly what I'm this thing. <laughs> Look, if uh, I don't know, I don't know how big the fan base for this is. I assume it's fairly sizable. But, you know, if somebody sees potential money on the table, they're going to go for it eventually. So I just assume we live in a world where if something is a piece of IP that anyone has heard of, eventually somebody is going to come along and say, "Okay, well, let's take the name and slap it on something else and try and make a few bucks. So in a world where I, I sort of view it as inevitable, Anyway, I am curious to see, yes, as you put it, what the utterly bastardized bad version of this looks like. I am very curious. I am not. So anyone, if you were thinking (laughs) about making that, you were like, you know what? Lex is right. I'm going to tell you that Lex is wrong. Save your money (laughs) and uh, do something else. Oh, my God. You know what we do? Anything else. We we do the totally bastardized remake version, but the lead is not Ryuko. The lead is now the, the super problematic character. Oh, man. Um, It'd be so good. It would be so uh-huh. good. And it, we, we do it. Here's what we do. We put all... Uh, all the money we can into it, but we do a producers. So we, we produce the show, but we turn it into a surefire flop so that we don't have to pay back any of the backers and we get super rich. Hmm. This sounds like that's, that's an idea. Ah, man, you know, unrelated. uh, One thing I forgot to mention is that I also really like in terms of the storytelling that uh, you had mentioned the elite four earlier. I like that Satsuki's group, Satsuki and her group basically are a traditional five man band. You're, you're able by the end to have both the loner who has uh, gained a found family, but you also have the group that is so dedicated 
to their their leader and like their tight knit, which are two separate. What do you call it? like a uh, like tropes or archetypes for anime and storytelling in general? And you kind of get to have your cake and eat it too because those two groups get to come together by the end. So I like that. Uh, yeah. Please don't do an action version. Thank you guys for uh, <laughs> joining us here on Missing Out. <laughs> Lex, if you'd like to create a fan fiction version or write out a spec uh, script for what you think a live action version would look like, you are open to do so. If someone wanted to read that, uh, where could they find you? Uh, yes. If somebody wants to brainstorm uh, pitches for this uh, bastardized live action version, I am on Twitter and Instagram sometimes at the Lex Michael. I'm around. I look at it. I don't always post, but but I'm there. You can feel my presence and stuff. I also uh, I do another another podcast. Did you know? You probably knew. But if you didn't know, I do another podcast with my lovely partner, Marianne Ramish, who is a YouTuber. Uh, we call it Friends with Benefits. She is a big fan of Friends, the television juggernaut that's one of the most pervasive and undying forces in popular culture. I myself am not a fan of that particular television program. But what I have agreed to do, despite my better judgment, is sit down and go through the entire series all 5,842 seasons, episode by episode, and we're going to talk about them from a fan perspective and from a critical perspective as well. I know HBO Max just launched, so people are jumping back into that pond again. If you want to watch along with us, please, we encourage you to do so. Uh, but we have a lot of fun doing that. You can find that wherever uh, you find your podcasts. Tari J, where where can people find you if you are what oh the people gosh. want? And as we know, you are what the people want. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, if you're looking to find me, I'll be on Twitter writing my adaptation of Twin Peaks. Um, it's going to <laughs> I would be absolutely watch that. <laughs> it's going to be made with puppets, and sometimes it's going to be claymation, and it's going to take place on a boat. Uh, and you can find me <laughs> at Tari J, T A U R I J A Y. But most importantly, you can find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M I S S I N G. O-U-T-C-A-S-T. You can find us talking about what's coming up. You can find us talking about looking for suggestions for our, our monthly theme, things of that sort. So make sure to follow us on Twitter. I believe that next week is going to be our last week of Schools Out Forever. So after that, our next theme is going to be July which is uh, <laughs> fictitious or hyperbolic or alternate tellings of actual events, things like 300 or Panther or uh, Serial, things of that sort, stuff that is based on things that actually happened, but it is a, a media rendition of that. So we can't wait to jump into that. Keep a look on our Twitter for what will be included in that month. If you want to give us suggestions, we've received a few so far, and we'd like to keep that going because we want to cover things that you like. So yeah, that is about it. Until next week, this has been the retrospective that was introspective. And now you have a new perspective. I really want to see your puppet claymation Twin Peaks on a boat. Put the, put the, the offensive character in it. And then we've hit all our demographics. 
Mm, I would, but I hate him. <laughs> he, 